Welcome back. This is part two of my conversation with Richard Di Domenici. If you haven't listened to part one, go back. A few of these acts that you've sent me are like, you know, when you first started watching Eurovision and you think, oh, they just randomly put, pick a person from that country to be in the world's biggest song contest, right? Like they just picked five Parisians or five Bulgarians and like handed them only, some outfits. Only and the they UK. Were like, only the UK does that. Okay. So a lot of these are a bit like that. But this one especially, there is a point where he hits probably that minute two point where he's got an orange cape on and just leans kind of yes. crouches down and the wind machine starts on cue and like blows his cape back. It's all very impressive. It's uh, uniquely Eurovision. I don't think you'd ever see a performance quite like it anywhere else. Um, I've never seen a performance like it in Eurovision. I think it exemplifies everything that Eurovision stands for and all all that's good about it. He's a competent singer, we know this, but due to a number of factors, there might have been a bit of hubris involved. He messed (laughs) up really badly on the night and maybe he thought, I don't need monitors. I'm the best singer in... Bulgaria, I don't need in-ear monitors. And um, we, you can see what happens when people have that much hubris. It can all fall to pieces at Eurovision because Eurovision is the truth. Um. I don't read I don't read fear in any of these women's eyes, I have to say. There's like a David Lee Roth kind of teased hair, short on the top, on the crown of the head and long on the yeah, bottom. Yeah. Sort of She's Elvira, the mistress one. of the night, kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, that, I, I thought she looked like Elvira as well. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, there's yeah. a, there's, yeah, that, they've got that thing going on. There's no cohesion amongst the group. Like, they don't have any, uh, it's like they're all doing their own separate things. There is a minute where on the stage. one stilt walker, I swear, I'm now doubting myself because you've told me that the guy with, with uh, that I am convinced had, that I have mentally penciled underwear onto someone. So I could have remembered anything in this, <laughs> right? I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm like, now I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to think that I'm looking at naked people, right? Like maybe I'm imagining their clothes or something. By, right? the, by the end, the stilt walkers have just kind of given up. They're just doing their own thing over in the corner. They're swinging each other around by their stilts. Yeah, they're, they're swinging that. each other around by their stilts. It is bonkers. Um, it's it's amazing, and I don't know how many points they got, but I, I don't imagine they bothered the top ten that year. But what you sent me was very interesting. There was some kind of protest about Krasimir taking part, and that yeah. is maybe what affected the staging. I imagine he just wanted to do it on stage by himself. Oh, Which would have been like... worse... Or better. I'm not sure if that would have worked better or worse. Probably would have been better. He would have been less distracted and maybe he'd have sung it in the right key. I'm going to go back now and I'm going to watch the video of him undistracted without all of it. I think that's where I've gone wrong. I'm going to go give him another chance and I'm going to see whatever the professionally produced version of this is. And I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to just close out all all of those backing singers and see maybe... The fact that you said that there were protests that led to the the staging being changed okay. suggests that maybe it wasn't all Krasimir's fault, but I still think it was probably mostly mostly Krasimir's <laughs> fault. Even your empathy has 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 a limit. Yeah, there's 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 like a little there's yeah. A little it wasn't wall. any of the other yeah. people. Like even the stilt walkers were very were doing a very good job. Yes, like, the, yeah, really like blame, oh yeah, you snaps can't blame to the any stil- of the other people on the stage. The other five were all doing quite competent jobs. And it was mostly Krasimir who messed up <laughs> for Bulgaria in 2009. 
Right. I will just read this out because here are my notes. Um, semi-final result for this for this song, Illusion, Bulgaria, 2009, failed to qualify, came in 16th. This Eurovision was held in Moscow. The song that won, I'm sure everyone will remember, it was Fairy Tale by Norway. Mm. Uh, the final in this Eurovision uh, took place on the 21st of February. Yeah, so... Krasimir was selected exclusively by public televoting in the national selection. Following this, several Bulgarian musicians openly issued letters demanding that he withdraw from the song contest while, sorry, whilst, it sounds more serious that way, whilst (laughs) questioning the legitimacy (laughs) of the voting and criticizing his performing abilities. A protest took place in front of BNT headquarters in February, where a petition signed by over 3,000 people was submitted, while a live debate regarding the participation of Avramov took place during a special broadcast of Be A Star on 26th of February. That's pretty unusual, isn't it? During the debate, the singer defended his Eurovision participation and stated that Illusion would be reworked. So this is the reworked version. This is the improved version you're looking at here. Yeah, but it's rare, isn't it? Like a lot of people go to Eurovision that aren't very good. It doesn't normally cause protests. So he must have done something else. Is he just like really annoying as a person? Is he very self-confident? I... He seems quite self-confident. <laughs> you would have to be. You would have to it be. Orange seems cake. like he might have alienated some of his peers in a way that doesn't normally happen. I didn't see, I had assumed, see, now I didn't take into, a fact, into, into account the human factor. I had assumed that, like, there were just, like, a load of really good songs and the televoting was rigged. I, I, I sort I of assumed know. that that's, where, that's what happened, that, that, that the public was like, I, how did this song come through, really? I don't know what Krasimir's sexuality is. Like, maybe there was homophobia involved. Maybe it's possible. I know people can be very rude about people who sing in falsetto. There's an Israeli oh. singer called David Deor who sung in falsetto at Eurovision, and people were very mean to him, and I think also homophobic to him. What years was it? What so, year was this? Sorry, what David Deor. David Deor was been mid mid noughties, I think. Okay. It was a so no, song. I, I don't want to say that's so that's pretty recent. I don't know. Yeah, fine. So yeah. Anyway, I'd like lo- I'd love to read some of the letters that were sent by the by the other musicians. <laughs> to the Bulgarian government. I'd like to see what they say, because they might mention more about if it's just his singing or if it's some deep-seated personality flaws that they disagree with. I am actually going to do everyone... I'm going to be... Yeah, I'm going to actually look this up, and if we can find it, I will put it up on Patreon. I'll I'll do, like, actors' interpretations. I'll add in, right, like... And, you know, like you Ken Burns style, Ken Burns style. I'll go ahead and have yes, somebody please. read, like, yeah. And if there are any uh, Bulgarians listening who can shed any light on this, please do get in contact with the show. And Krasimir, if you're listening, like, I don't mean to assassinate your character this way. I thought your performance was unique and amazing. And I'm sorry, um, clearly something happened technically wrong on the night. It happens a lot. It's happened to the UK. And maybe, Krasimir, if you'd like to contact us and let us know your side of the story, I would re- I would genuinely be fascinated to know more about this. So we do tweet all of the OGAEs, by, by we I mean I, right? Um, that's the Victorian we. I just mean I, the person that runs this, <laughs> this, this, this podcast. I do tweet the, I, the, I will be tweeting the Bulgarian OGAE because that's what happens every episode. So that might actually happen, yeah. 
I'm also surprised that you haven't brought up that his name starts with crass. Wow. Yeah, that's it. Nominative, nominative determinism, do you think? That's it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's there. It's all there. We just weren't looking hard enough, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Look, Krasimir might be a lovely guy. And I'm sorry to be going on about Krasimir's performance that went a bit wrong, because we shouldn't be rude to Eurovision participants. No. I don't think because it takes a lot of it takes a lot of bravery to go up on that stage, and uh, and you've given me a lot of entertainment over the years. The next key thing, the band <laughs> ping pong, the pen, oh the my band God, ping pong, yeah, the band ping pong with a song called "Be Happy." That's the English name. Please don't let make me read it. it it's it's the group is from Israel, two thousand. This was also bonkers, bonkers. It does look difficult to pronounce. I think it's just pronounced Samaya. So it's easier than it looks. Samaya. Ping pong. Okay. Ping pong. Do, what feelings? Again, strong feelings. I asked for or, submissions that you have strong feelings about. What are your feelings about this song? I think it's often considered to be one of the worst Eurovision entries ever. And I think there's more to it than that. And that actually... If people knew more information about this song, that they'd reevaluate it and maybe think that it was great. Um, this song was disowned by the Israeli government, I think the day before, a couple of days before it was performed. The band had to pay their own way to Eurovision because the Israeli government withdrew funding for the song because Ping Pong, the band, who were a bunch of artists and journalists not really professional singers as you can tell by I watching that the yeah i do get that um they in the music video firstly and then in the rehearsal and in the final as well they uh, they started waving syrian flags during the performance which upset uh, the israeli government um a lot and almost they were disqualified i think well they wanted to they wanted to disqualify them but they couldn't so they disowned them and said that uh, this song does not represent Israel. <laughs> so, I know this because there's an amazing documentary that came out in, um, I think, 2006. And they're like, about... yeah, it, yet we do because we're singing in Hebrew. Meh. Yeah. Yeah, they were just singing a song about peace. They also, they were being quite, I don't think they did it on stage on the night, but they had some uh, cucumbers that they were being provocative with in the music video, which um, the Israeli government uh, disagreed with. Also, this song contains the first same-sex kiss, which no. I think is often overlooked at Eurovision, at Eurovision, um, which I think is often overlooked. I think uh, people thought that it happened a few years ago, the first same-sex uh, kiss at Eurovision, but no, it was actually the year 2000, 22, 23 years ago. You can't quite, it's quite hard to see because it pulls to a wide shot of the stage, but you can see the two male performers um, run into the middle of the stage, kiss each other on the lips. And wow. so I think Sammy Yeah by Ping Pong is a revolutionary song in many ways in that respect. Also, there were, you know, the controversy surrounding them waving Syrian flags. Um, the fact that they were disowned by their country, which I think doesn't happen very often, if at all. So I think that they were being quite radical and that therefore we should reevaluate their singing, which is a little bit wonky. Not as bad as um, Bulgaria, I don't think. 
I, I will go right back. Now, you, think... You're giving me, you are giving me renewed interest in rewatching this song, and I've seen this song probably five to ten times in the last forty-eight hours. It doesn't get a lot of um, credit or love, and I think Ping Pong they were trying to do something quite avant-garde, and I think in many ways they of succeeded. Of all people, you saying avant-garde? Why is the song avant-garde to you? It's got to be more than the kiss. It's got to be more than when, the kiss. When There's... something gets disowned by your government, your country that you're representing, what's that phrase? First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Then you, and, then you go um, to Eurovision. And then you go to, and then you don't win Eurovision. But <laughs> I think the fact that they were so vilified by their own, by the people that had, you know, selected them, I find amazing and fascinating. And... Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there was that thing earlier that came out earlier this week about how um, they're trying to shut down the the news service at the state broadcaster in Israel. Yeah. Have you heard about this? No, and I have not the heard EB, about it. The EBU has written to um, uh, the Israeli culture ministry, I think, to say you, you have to have impartial news on your state broadcaster, otherwise it will no longer be eligible for participation in Eurovision. Ah, okay. I think it's since since this new uh, quite uh, or very right wing government's taken over, they're trying to uh, make some big changes. And so some people have been talking about, oh, oh Israel going to get kicked out this year, mm. um, which I don't think I don't think will happen. But yeah. um, but it's all very interesting. And I don't know, man, ping pong, <laughs> Sammy, yeah. Year two thousand, what a what a what a thing! It was it really signalled the new <laughs> the new um, the, the new way of Eurovision that it would go. It was in it was in a big arena for the first time, I think. And there's these four people on stage who look like they've might have taken some kind of hallucinogenic drugs. And um... do you know what this? Yeah, okay. Do you know what this reminded me of? This this this. If I were going to put this in a playlist, it would be there with Gendrix, I Don't Feel Hate, and the ukulele, and then it would be back-to-back with um, Eat Your Salad? Yeah. I think it's it's the leisure suit. I think it's the green leisure suit. Yes. Yeah, I think it's the green leisure suit that's doing it to me. Like, I don't want to give it too much love, because I think the guy in the leisure suit recently had to step down from his job for... How do you know so much about after being accused of some sort of uh, sexual misdemeanors, so... Uh, well, I mean, leisure suit, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That was a, it's a clue, isn't it? It's a clue. Anyway, that was Ping Pong. Sammy, yeah. <laughs> sure, she'll describe this. Yeah, so just to describe it and then to give some facts. The outfits here have a sort of hippie Scooby-Doo vibe. Again, the leisure suit, mm. the oversized jacket... Mm. They've got the ladies with the, the, the A-line dresses, the flowers in their hair. It's definitely got a little bit of, um, of Scooby-Doo there. The choreography is a lot of, like, hopping. Like, it's a little bit 90s, like the mosh, like the hopping and then lassoing. A lot of snapping from the elbow to the hand. Like, a lot of, um, it's like kind of like that line dance la- lasso kind of effect. Yes, um, yes that's true. It's, yeah, it's like a lot of forearm movement and a lot of hopping. You'd have to see it fully to understand. It is the year 2000, but the fashion took me back. The mini mini skirt with the thigh high stockings. Mm. Uh, the Pulp Fiction finger eye dance. I'm doing it now, but you know oh, what I'm God, talking about. The, yeah, Uma, the Uma yeah. Thurman, like, you know, this yeah. thing. 
Mm. Um, Jackrabbit, Slim's, Dance. There's a little bit of a Eurythmics flavor here. Good message. That's great. Yeah. The choreography is not up to the normal high standards. For sure not. No, there's a lot of it's quite it, It's quite aloof. I would describe the whole performance as fairly <laughs> aloof. Although they seem to be having a good time. Like, they're not... They're not like being cool, too cool for Eurovision or anything. They seem to be genuinely into it, but it is also, I would say, fairly relaxed in terms of the staging. Yeah, I mean, I would call it like what happens when you put on a song. Like, I'm, I've never, I've not been to a, in a fraternity, clearly, or a sorority, but it's got like a university, like we've got a, you know, we've got a stereo system and we're just going to turn it on and everybody's got like a plastic cup and we're like, I don't know, we're going to, we're just going to bounce up. That's what we got. That's what, you know. So I think people were probably, I think Eurovision fans were probably a little bit insulted by it because they didn't seem to, you know, uh, take it seriously. Reach the high, the high level of uh, uh, professionalism that we've come to expect. And um, but I think if we view it as a subversive act against its own broadcaster and also the uh, instance of the first same-sex kiss at Eurovision, then really it was doing. Oh, uh, it's no, no, it's it's mind blowing now. Yeah, it is. Like so, we've got. Um, the band released one album in 2000, so Ping Pong only has one album featuring songs like <laughs> Burger Ranch, which is an Israeli fast food chain, so I guess it would be like calling it, you know, McDonald's or something, I, you know, probably something mm. even more low rent than that. Um, mm. I've got a lover in Gavadi and Mr. Israel. I wish Mr. Israel had gone to, that sounds like a Sir Hat song. I mean, not that Sir Hat is Israeli, but you understand, like, I can, mm. I'm imagine kind of a croony, throaty thing, like a Tom Jones thing. Well, look, all I can hope is that this this will change people's minds about ping pong and that they get back together and maybe reform and um, perform again at Eurovision one day with that song, Mr. Israel. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, they closed, they placed 22nd in a field of 24, <laughs> right? Just, just throwing that oh, out there. Oh, they didn't come last. That's good. Well done, This is, we're getting down to the, the last two. Gina G. Ooh, ah. Uh, just a little bit, and they've succeeded because I even have to sing the title. I am not going to lie, Richard. You have ruined my life. So, I don't know. I'm confused. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm torn. Thank you. Thank you. I need that apology because I am now upset. So, I didn't the do way it on purpose. <laughs> that I've always understood this song is this British people love it. It, it peaked in Britain. I don't have like huge memories of ever listening to this song as a kid. For me, this is like a song that British people love um, because it charted, it topped the charts and I was not around. So I'd never seen it performed. I've got no idea visually who like Gina G is. Mm. The way that I've thought about this song, it exists in my world as this. Do you know that Serge Gainsbourg song, Je t'aime? Yes. You know, where you've got like, yeah, it, with Jane Charlotte. Birkin that's, yeah, oh, Jane Birkin, yeah, 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 yeah of course, oui, yeah. Je yes. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like basically, you know, the way that I imagine that like French lovin' happens, right? It's just like climaxing into a microphone. Yes. And when I imagine French people, that is like, this song characterizes my understanding of the way France works and French women work and French courtship works, right? I wonder if that's true. Do you think French people still put on Je t'aime when they're about to <laughs> make love to somebody? Do you think that's what the sex music is in France? Yes, I, and I, think that, I think that they probably just genuinely 
sound like that, like in small talk and like bar small talk, right? Like that's just what that's, yeah, that, that to me is like, that's France and that's it. And please don't ruin it for me. I, when I heard Gina G's just a little bit the first time, whenever that was, I imagine that you crossed the channel and that like, this is the English female experience of, of that kind of thing. And so it sounds kind of painful, a bit of discomfort, like, Ooh, ah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just a little bit. Not too much. Yeah. Just, just so dial it back. So it's a metaphor. I've never thought of it this way, but yeah, it's a metaphor for losing one's virginity. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, oh it God. doesn't, it sounds a bit unpleasant, right? This does not sound like a pleasant, ex- like I know that she's selling it as like, you know, it's saucy and sexy and whatever, but this yeah. is not what I get every time. Every time she wow. comes on and she goes, Ooh, ah, I'm like, Ooh, like, I don't know, consent. That's an yeah. issue. Like yeah. maybe care oh, about, I don't God. know, care yeah. about, yeah. I don't know, maybe, but, but she's that's clearly, I'm the only person that gets that out of it. And then I feel bad for England. I feel like this, if this is England's anthem to that, if this is England's answer to Jane Birkin, we're like, we're, we've got problems. Where are we? Yeah. Where have we gone to? That's really interesting. Gina, if you're listening, please, could you get in contact and let us know if, if this interpretation of your song is accurate? Because I think that's a really that's a really interesting reading of it. I've never thought of it that way, but obviously, you know, I'm not a woman. I mean, again, it's a bit teasy. I I, I don't know, but um, yeah, it's never anyway. So, why do you love this song? Do you have warm memories about this song? Warm memories about this song at at Eurovision? Some journalist called it a synthy magic carpet ride, and that is what it is. It's a synthy magic carpet ride. Yeah, like one of my favorite things about this which I think you mentioned in your show notes, is that there's two enormous Apple Macintosh computers <laughs> on the stage. In beige with floppy disks, basically. Yeah, it's got the little, the little, the little, yeah. This is before the return of Steve Jobs. There were no lovely, you know, aqua, Bondi, blue, transparent iMacs. These no, were no. big, huge. These were cathode ray tube monitors, massive. Like with TV that, I imagine size. they have that soupy green color. Do you know what I mean? With DOS prompts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, exactly. and like some hard, some of those tiny hard floppy disks. These are balanced on um, on two, I think, Yamaha keyboards. And there's yeah. two guys playing these keyboards. And the reason that they're even there, these two blokes with the enormous, unwieldy computers that must have cost thousands of pounds to transport from the UK is that there was an archaic rule at Eurovision which said, look, you can use your own instruments, uh, you, can have ba- you can have your own backing song, but all the instruments in your backing music have to be visible on stage. That was the rule up until uh, 1997, I think. I think they got rid of that the year after. Gina G robbed twice then, the robbed twice, because the televote came to the year afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Gina was ahead of her time. Yeah. Um, so they realised that that rule was stupid when Gina G wheeled on two enormous Macintosh computers onto the stage in order to um, agree with the uh, the rule about the instruments having to be on stage. Because it's a not quite an up-tempo dance song and they didn't really use the orchestra, which was still in place. Although apparently there were, in the bridge, there's some orchestral strings that are being played live. Get out! Um, you're telling so me so many a, things was, I've never known. There was a little known. bit of orchestra in Uta. If you listen, you can just sort of hear some, like a harp, a little harp, bit of harp and strings in the background. So there was, the orchestra did take part in Uta, just a little bit, which is ridiculous because it's basically a kind of rave dance song. And it's quite, it sounded quite contemporary, which is, I think, why it didn't get 
very marked very well by the jury. Yeah, for people um, that don't remember it, it's that it's that thing that's yeah. So I'm a big fan of the ridiculous archaic nature of the staging. Um there were six people on stage, two of them were blokes doing keyboards. I imagine they had to be there because they were keyboards in the song. So they're kind of, I think they're doing a little bit of backing singing as well. There's a back there's a female backing singer, um there's Gina G herself and then there's two backing dancers. And one of my favorite facts about Gina's backing dancers is that the one on the right-hand side um went on to co-write all of Girls Aloud's best songs. No. Yeah, Miranda Cooper, she formed she stopped being a backing dancer. She went solo for a bit. Um and then she uh, formed a writing partnership with a man called Brian and uh, collectively they were known as Xenomania and I think apart from the cover versions they wrote almost all of Girls Aloud's hits wow that's amazing Miranda Cooper and the other the other dancer in on the left Chloe she's been in some of the how best do you know these videos. backup dancers well names? I knew about Miranda Cooper I don't know how I knew about Miranda Cooper but um, I'd, I'd found out all this information about Miranda and how she went on to become like, one of the best songwriters that, that the UK's ever produced, apart from Kathy Dennis. And then um, I thought, No, oh, then there's the guy bad. that wrote The Candyman. The Candyman can. I'm going to look this up. The what is his name? Can. Look it up. Uh, uh, Newley. Anthony, Anthony Newley? Newley? Oh, yeah, he's really good. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, anyway. He never, he, never, he never was a backing dancer at Eurovision. <laughs> it's true. I would have loved so, that, though. That would have been good, though. That would have been good. I thought, I know so much about Miranda, but I don't know anything about um, the other one, the one in the green dress. So I, I looked her up. Her name's Chloe, and she's been in music videos for E17. She's She's been in... She was, like, in every pop song of the 1990s and the video dancing in the background. So she's amazing, too. We recently befriended each other on Eurovision last year when I was... When What's-His-Name was winning, Sam Ryder was winning... Yeah. Um, Chloe, the backing dancer on the left, was texting me saying, oh, my God, I can't believe we're winning. You've got so Chloe's that... text number? Yeah. You text we're, we're Chloe? Now. Yeah, we're friends. We we chat to each other on Eurovision. Only on Eurovision night, she texts me and we talk about how the voting's going. I hope to have her as a guest soon on my rival Eurovision podcast, Reading Deeply Into Pop, because she's done <laughs> so much. And I feel that the backing dancers never get any credit for that song. But really, they were one of the best things about that song. They were quite well choreographed and the timing was excellent and they looked so yeah, happy. Yeah, it's kind of like those, I, I say in sync, it's a bit like, you know, it's a they're very complicated dance moves. Like they're very complicated dance moves done very quickly. Like it, you, it almost seems like they're on fast speed, one and a half speed or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much better than ping pong. Yes, much better than ping pong. They've got, they've definitely got some 90s nostalgia here. You've got the top of the top of the head ponytails, little Spice yes. Girl vibes, the baby yeah. doll dresses, the chunky sneakers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I have noticed here, so somebody noticed that the synth sounded like Erasure, and I was like, oh, Erasure, they sound mm. great. Why do I still not like Gina G? Best yeah. synth, I think, since, since Vangelis, Chariots of Fire, so great use of synth from me. Like um, that... Yeah, I don't know about like yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a big statement to make. I'm all, I'm all for it. If that's your true opinion, then good good for you, man. I just mean as like okay, so a synth line, a, a recognizable synth line. There's yeah. like what other than yeah. that? There's like what the Beverly Hills Cop theme, maybe. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It is a little bit Axel F, a little bit Harold Fultemeyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. 
that's very true. And um, I, I, I see that you know about the uh, the dress, where Gina's dress came from. Well, you you tell us have where you... Gina's dress came. I had to look it up, but you probably have been texting Chloe, like you. Your Eurovision text texting Chloe, and she's like, she probably has that dress now. Gina G probably gave her that dress. By the way, Gina G, great. She's super in shape. Her voice is great. Her thighs are amazing. And the dress, go on about the dress. She's also Australian, Gina G, which was, I think, a little bit controversial in the UK that we'd chosen yeah. somebody from Australia to represent. But anyway, Gina's great. And uh, she found that dress in Warner Brothers Records. Yeah. Uh, Warner's, Warner Brothers Records headquarters in Los Angeles, I think. Yeah, and, um, two in words. A cupboard, yeah. And it had been designed for Cher to wear by Paco Rabanne, yeah. and Cher uh, had rejected it for some reason. And uh, it was in a cupboard. Gina G found it, and then she cut the bottom off it to make it more of a micro skirt. I mean, it is a bit like a glitter ball trophy. I think this is chainmail, right? I think this is it's not like, a dress. Yeah, yeah mail, I think I think it's mail. like chainmail. Yeah. So I think she's, yeah. I don't, yeah, she will have had some pliers. Probably she's probably got skills. Yeah. That's one of uh, two share-related um, Eurovision facts that I've got. There the must be that, more. There must be more share. There must be more. There must be many yeah. more. But the other one that I know is that um, Share covered a Bucks Fizz song. No. Did, yeah, <clears throat> Bucks Fizz had a song called Heart of Stone, and Bucks. Uh, not only did Share cover the Bucks Fizz song Heart of Stone, she named her album Heart of Stone and her world tour Heart of Stone, and that all comes from a Bucks Fizz song. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, wow, so wow. Well, this is like... Lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's like blown my mind even more than when I found out that Bruno Tonioli used to be a backup dancer for Elton John. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you can see him in the I'm Still Dancing video. Mm. Um, yeah. la oh, so do I need to say anything else about Gina G? Hold on. Gina G. No, I think that's it. We got your your share, your Paco Rabanne. She's she's looking great. She's doing great. She's selling it. Big smile, like full confidence. Yep. It was nominated for a Grammy. That song. It oh. became popular in the US. It was popular all around the world. Nominated for a Grammy, and I think yeah, had the televoting started a year earlier, I think Gina probably would have ranked much higher than easily him. because Ireland won this year and the, the this year and the, I don't in '96 and I don't even remember what Ireland's song was. I couldn't tell you. Ireland won that year. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's not it, in my notes, but that is what I think. It wasn't Rock and Roll Kids. That was earlier, wasn't it? I'm going, I'm looking it up. Definitely look it up, and that will prepare Ireland. us for the last song. It is. It is. Yeah, we are. We are a juggernaut today. 1996. Oh yeah. Amar Quinn, I am the voice. Remember that one? No. I am the voice of the. Uh, it was a lovely, it's a lovely yes, song. Yes, it was a lovely song, yes, but it wasn't. Yes, it yes. wasn't very um, modern. Not it like was Gina one of G. those. It was one of those like insieme. One of those bring people together, schmaltzy, syrupy, like just crunches on your teeth songs. Insieme. What a what a tune. Who was who was the guy? That, <laughs> he was the guy. He won, didn't he? And then he came back the next year and presented it, and he did a terrible job. When he presented it in was it nineteen nineties when when three when I'm going to go um, two three in Rome it was presented in Rome it hosted in Rome and at, at uh, Chini Cine uh, Chitta Studios and he was the co-host and, and the audio and the audio was terrible apparently apparently yeah, like yeah, yeah the audio from that one amazing, just the planning great, of it that's a really good song to rewatch that's a really I, good contest to rewatch is that one oh maybe I'll go back to that one but what's his name the guy to Toto no. Yeah, I think it is because 
insieme. Europe united. Europe. Yeah, because I think this song. is the year the wall came down, isn't it? I'm assuming that's why that's why the song exists. I'm, you know, because otherwise. Well, I think it was about the joining of uh, the European Union uh, and the Euro and stuff oh, like that, wasn't it? Oh, that's delightful. That's delightful. Toto, his name was. Toto Cotunio. Cotunio, Toto Cotunio. Cotunio, yeah. Okay. yeah. He, he, great, great Eurovision singer, terrible Eurovision host. Yeah, fine. Fine, fine. I mean, yeah, in my memory, just because, which may be fallible, we've demonstrated that. If, if anything, we've demonstrated that in this episode. In in my memory, he is singing that in a shell suit. Yeah, uh, with like yeah, a members-only jacket or something. That's 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 I how I have that of, in my head. It's definitely a kind of white suit. He's got quite a gravelly voice. I would say the second yeah. gravelliest voice I've ever heard at Eurovision. Who's the first gravelliest voice you've ever heard at, at Eurovision? While well, I make a superlative uh, even more superlative than it could be. Yugoslavia, nineteen eighty-four has a ridiculously gravelly voiced man doing a duet and it's um it's laughably gravelly i would say i'm hoping this know, duet you know, is like with johnny cash or something with an equally gravelly no person. no it's with an amazing it's with an amazing yugoslavian female singer who had previously been a backing dancer in um uh eurovision 1983 i think she went from backing dancer to lead singer within Aww. two years which was amazing and that that's what can happen at eurovision you know, you can go from just singing in the background to being a, a huge international star. And unfortunately, she was paired with a very gravelly man who I think sort of brought the brought the song down a little bit. Ciao Amore was the name of the song. It's got a ridiculous pop video. Don't don't watch it. It's too sexy. Oh, I will. Oh, is it it's too sexy? Too much. They're kind of coming out of this water and they're topless and it's just a bit problematic. Well... You know, we've established that as long as everyone's consenting and no one's in discomfort, even mild discomfort, so that I, you know, oh have to God. feel bad for them. And I can, you know, I can, I can mentally apparently draw clothes onto them. So that's fine. I can. And that whole, that whole Gina G song was just a huge cry for help. I'm, I'm just horrified saying. that I never noticed that. It's terrible. She was just telling us in plain sight that, you know, she needed our help and nobody, nobody cared. <laughs> right. Um, we learned so much today. Well, we are coming to our last um, submission, which is one of my favorite submissions of all time, Shumbai Goa, 2021. Yes, quite right. Uh, but you have not given us Katarina pa pa Pavlenko's version. You have given us a different version, and you're going to tell us why. Yeah. Why do you um, love this version? What do you love about it? I'd seen it, I'd seen it before, this version, and then uh, I'd kind of forgotten that it existed. And what was mm. happening. And I saw it again yesterday and it blew my mind. Katerina, or Kate for short. Um, I think she's known as Kate. And let's call her Kate because Well, ask Chloe. Just text Chloe Katerina. and ask her what she Cla calls Hi, her, right? Chloe. Um, <laughs> Katerina, who I, I did actually see go a live recently in London. Oh, and, yeah, I um, knew they were too they, 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 they were amazing. And uh, I loved them. It was very emotional. Everyone was chanting Ukraine, Ukraine, and they yeah. were sort of, you know, almost, I think, in tears. It was beautiful. Anyway, what a great song, Shum by Go A, 2021. But unfortunately, Kate had uh, COVID symptoms. So during the mm. week of Eurovision, when they were doing all their rehearsals, she wasn't able to go to the technical rehearsals to check, you know, to test all the mics and the staging and what have you and the cameras. They, they all go and do some uh, rehearsing, which normally isn't filmed, but sometimes you get to see some footage. And uh, I didn't know this until 
two years ago that they have such a thing as stand-ins, which mm. means that Amsterdam was the first time I heard about this. They get some local music students, in this case, I'm not sure if it's always local music students, but they get some local music students to come in and um, for moments when the bands can't be there for their technical rehearsals, maybe they've arrived in the city late or maybe they're ill or maybe they just can't be bothered. They get a local music student to come in and stand on stage and they've the music stu student has spent the last couple of months um, memorising the dance routine by looking at the uh, like the national final videos and what have you um, and the songs and the lyrics because they need to test out the mics so they need to sing. And um, although that doesn't always happen, sometimes they just mime. And sometimes they're not very good, but it's just it's a technical thing mainly. It's not designed to be seen by the public. And these local music students uh, perform the songs basically, so that all the camera teams and the sound people can go, yeah, okay, we got it, we know what's going to happen. And then the actual band comes in and sings it live. In this case, I think she did it twice. Uh, a, a young student called Emmy Van Stein, her name is, uh, from the local music college in um, Rotterdam. In Rotterdam. Um, she worked in a local fast food restaurant. They called her up and said, Kate from Go A has, has got COVID symptoms. Can you come in and um, do the, the technical rehearsal? And she said, and that's she really in. weird because isn't Kate like a member of the Matrix? Like, I would be shocked if that woman did oh not have God, like some amazing uncanny, immune system. Like, she looks yeah. so much like Carrie. Yeah, they should have got Carrie Ann Moss to be the stand-in. But, you know, she's a famous international she actress. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't know if Carrie Ann Moss can sing. Anyway, Emmy Van Stein had learnt the whole of Shun by Go A, which is quite a complicated song to sing anyway, let alone yeah. that it's in Ukrainian, a language that Emmy doesn't speak. So she's phonetically learnt this whole song, which, you know, changes speed, and um, she comes in and she sings it. I'm watching this video of the dress rehearsal, um, some of which you can see on on the uh, on the internet, these stand-in rehearsals. Yeah. And at first, I think, oh, she's clearly miming because you know that who who could who could ever learn this song and sing it? And um, she even does she does the high-pitched uh, thing at the end. And it's only then yeah, that I go, oh, yeah. that's a bit that sounds a bit different. She sung it a little bit, it's still very good, but like, the way that she goes, ee, sounds a bit different. And then I'm, oh my god, is she actually singing that whole thing live? And she phonetically learn the whole song and um it's one of the most you know if if there's any example of how much people care about eurovision <laughs> then, yeah you know, i mean when we went you know we could only well, i would say we'd only could we could only afford jury shows or family shows which you know check my privilege at the door it's, it's oh, no, great no, to be able yeah, to afford to do it but sometimes they're the best they are, you know, like the the rehearsal shows, you know, they don't necessarily dress in the, you don't get a costumed, you know, you don't get Sheldon in his, I mean, we did, but for example, you might not get a Sheldon in, in the whole outfit with the, so, you know, there's that. And then particularly in the yeah. family show, I think, because it's so close, the Saturday family show is so close to the actual finals, like a couple of hours before, Yeah. that often they don't have their hair and makeup done. And it's really interesting just to see what they look like normally it's just they just they're, they're still all very beautiful but they're just normally beautiful and it's a shock yes yes like, especially oh my God. do you know who we saw in regular clothes was sentimentai the woman with the mushroom the bowl <gasps> oh, haircut monica yeah, monica yeah, Lou. Yeah, Lou. yeah and monica Lou just showed have... up like in a normal dress from like you know tk maxx was her hair or whatever the same? it was just a... what was her hair like 
Um, no, her hair was the same. I mean, I think that I, okay. I have actually looked this up. That is her real hair. It is not a wig, which I was shocked okay, to good. find Cause out. Because that would have been a clue. That would have been an amazing clue. Right. Yeah, Slash, there's some great yeah. footage of, um, like, it, un- annoyingly, it's, you know, it's mostly, it's a bit sexist because you compare, it's mostly the women that have the makeup on and that you're comparing them and you're going, oh, they look so different. But, um, yeah, like Fendi from, um, is, where was she from? Uh, the one that sung Israel, Marta wasn't Harley. it Fendi? No, no, am I thinking I think, of... Uh, I think Cleopatra, I think I'm thinking of, yeah, okay, fine. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Effendi was from, (laughs) oh, where's the cat? Matsuhari. We can cut this out. Um, Azerbaijan. Uh, She looks like a completely different woman. Still very beautiful. But, um, you know, when she's old, when she's got all the makeup on, she kind of looks a bit like... uh... Matsuhari. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think... I'm not suggesting we do Eurovision without makeup. I think that would be weird, but it's very interesting to see. And then someone's edited all the different rehearsal performances together. So there's like six different um, Oh, I've seen those. They are amazing. You've seen those? They are amazing. So it's such a hyper normal way of watching them. It's like a hyper real way of seeing all the Eurovision performances in one go. It sounds quite good because they're basically doing exactly the same performance. But the visual overload, I got, I've got so used to watching Eurovision that way now that I'd quite like it if that's how it was actually broadcast. With it's six a bit like Where's Wally, isn't it? It's a bit like Where's Waldo, yeah. Where's Wally. It's like spot the difference kind of a thing. Cause you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Sometimes it's completely exactly the same and it really shows the amount of practice and most people don't know. That most people just think there's one show at Eurovision on Saturday no, night, no. but there's been like eight or nine or ten different nine performances shows, all through that week. Plus then, most yeah. of them, most of them are open to the public. You went to one of them. I went to the the, the dress rehearsal of the semi final in Lisbon, and it's amazing. It was in a way, I think, better than I've not been to a final, but I think it was better because they're much more relaxed about yeah, how you could just wander yeah. around. You could just walk in and out and go and get a beer and walk down the front and. The fire when the fire exploded on one of the songs that's also where against my face oh right that's also where fire saga was was filmed yeah that that at that eurovision so yeah oh god 2018 yeah 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 because mm, they use the real they use the real that's right yeah yeah i wasn't a massive fire saga fan so this song shum is called dark techno Mm. that's its genre Mm. Uh, they're calling Stephania hip hop folk slash fusion. And because I think that we might never talk about this song ever again on the podcast, I don't know. This is one of my favorite, favorite Eurovision entries. And my favorite part, and I don't know if you'll pick up on this, if you've picked up on this, is the that little ping that sounds like an oven going off. I think it's an oven Just sound that tells you the cookies are done. Ping! In what? In, uh, in, in Shum? Yeah, it's about Just two before, minutes in. Just before, Just before the last verse. It kind of goes quiet and then there's a little noise and then she starts singing again. It's like, an yeah, it, and that's when it speeds up. And then you see the yeah. Tron, like the 80s, the men running at you, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it speeds yeah, yeah. up. I wonder if but, it's, it's great. It's a great ping. And I wonder if it's there just to let Kate know that, you know, it's about to start getting crazy now. Yeah, to me, it's like the toast come out of the toaster, like, that, and it's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the game time kind of a thing, that ping. But I don't know where they found that sound, but it's very... Um, it's just like ready to go, isn't it? It's 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 an easy bake oven yeah. sound. I don't know. It's very it's a that very is... familiar sound, right? It's a familiar sound. That's... I don't know what that sound is, but that's um that little bell that's right there is it's it's the I think because Shum is a song that takes itself so seriously, 
Mm. And it is a piece of not, art. Not in a bad way. No, not in a bad way. But they are doing some folk, some house folk, and they are just, she is into it. And it is, yeah. it kind of reads as high art. And I think it is that ping that makes me giggle, right? It's true, actually. I've I've never consciously thought about the ping. But when you mentioned it, I do know what you mean. And it's great. And we should try and find out where that came from, that ping. Yeah, that without the ping, it wouldn't be the out. same song. It's like, you know, it's like John yeah. Cleese. It's like the machine that goes ping. It's like that kind of a uh, machine that yeah, goes yeah, yeah. ping. You're right. It's a really important little motif in that song. Anyway, so Kate um, was so ill with the COVID that yep. even when they did their second rehearsal, which is done with the band, Kate couldn't make it. So uh, Emmy Van Stein actually performed with the band. The rest of Go A were on stage and Emmy was doing the singing. Which, wow. was, which never happens and which was an amazing thing for her. And they were so impressed by her phonetically memorising their song that they invited her to sit with them um, in the green room on the first semi-final of Eurovision. She's sat next to them. <laughs> big it's shout out story. to her. A big shout out to her. And if yeah. we can find her on, on Twitter, we will. We'll include her in this in this, in this this tweet. So yeah, we um, are... She's on, she's on Instagram, actually. She started an Instagram account because everyone thought, wow, this this woman's amazing. She's like, she's she the true amazing. embodiment of the Eurovision spirit. And um, I agree with that. I think, you know, probably maybe she'll represent the Netherlands one day. That would be good. Well, that's a good place to close out. Um, that's a really positive place to, to, to go out. And also to think about all of those rehearsal performances and rehearsal artists and all of these people that, that keep Eurovision going that you can go view on, on YouTube at any time. You know, this is all extra material that you can, that you can look at whenever you'd like. Extend out, the, extend yes. out your experience that way. Yeah, I didn't even know this stuff existed or was available to look at. So it's a bit, it's a bit rabbit holey. You might fall down into a rabbit hole where you start watching all the national finals and you know. But you know, it's fun and you see some amazing stuff that you would never see. Yeah, I mean, like some avant-garde stuff that will never get through, but that you think, wow, not how would that actually even work at Eurovision? Do you know what I thought that you were going to? I'm surprised that nobody's tried like a bit of performance art. Like, and I don't mean Mickey taking like you know piss taking performance art. I mean like genuine mm. performance art. I suppose um, Corpore Sano was a bit like that last year, but um, yeah, very do you know much what I... so. Yeah, that was the most live arty entrant I've ever seen in my life. I thought that's, that's what you were going to give me. I thought that's what you were going to give me. And then I thought the second runner up was going to be the woman that like pretended to be a Eurovision participant that slides the, the woman that looks like Barbie that slides down the shoe, the high heel. Oh, from Iceland. Yes. Celia Knight. Was that her name? That is her name. But she, she has, she amazing. performs as a different persona. Do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? She, like, she doesn't perform as herself. Whole, she, yes. Yeah. She was in character the whole of Eurovision week. No one, no one got that about her. They just thought she was being a rude bitch, but actually she was in character. <laughs> Yes. And it was a bit, it was, it was a bit too clever. And, you know, sometimes that happens and uh, people aren't rewarded for it. And it's a shame because I thought she was, that was quite amazing what she did. Yeah. That's what I thought you were going to give me. Sylvia Knight. Sylvia Knight. That is it. That's it. Yeah. Well, I have to ask you, will you come back? Will you come back another time to do this? Please come back. Yeah. Of course I will. I'm so excited. Barely, we've barely scraped the surface of, uh, there's, there's so much more deeper depths of Eurovision fandom that we can oh, explore. Plum. Yes, Plum, I think, is, is where we're going. Yes, I and I would like to cover every single inch of it. So um, excellent. Thank you very much. And we will include all kinds of links in the show notes. So check that out. Do you have any, before you leave, do you have any plugs? Do you have anything you'd like to plug? 
Um, not really. If you want to know anything more about uh, Corona Vision Sun Contest, you can watch it all and see all the acts and uh, what have you at deadomenergy.com forward slash Corona Vision. Um, if you're interested in any of the things, the projects uh, that we've mentioned, the other things to do with Eurovision, you can find them at deadomenergy.com forward slash Eurovision. And just generally go to deadomenergy.com if you're interested in any of my nonsense. And um, thanks so much for having me. It's been amazing. No, thank you. That's it for Eurovision Song Context for the moment. If you don't find links to Richard's art in the episode description below, you can also find it on our show page. We'll include some links, too, to the acts that we discussed and some second-chance performances of the songs we were more skeptical about. Remember, we release an episode on the 12th of every month, The Doozith. You can find us on the podcast app of your choice and show notes at eurovisionsongcontext.fireside.fm. We are on Twitter at ESCContext if you want to say hi. Our music is Buckeye Bonsai by Vans Japan. Japan.